Hey everybody, welcome to the Calhoun Ward Living Histories Podcast. I am your host, John Phillips, a member of the Calhoun Ward. Let's dive in and learn more about our ward members. Hi, I'm Tom Barlow. Um, I have an older brother who's on a mission and a younger sister uh, who is handicapped and she she doesn't not live with uh, our family. Uh, She's being taken care of by uh, somebody else that signed up for her to help her along. Um, I have a dad who's in the Air Force, Army Air Corps in World War II and he has a story online that's a pretty neat story to to listen to. Uh, my mom uh, graduated from high school. Uh, she had very good writing, uh, handwriting. Despite Dad being in the the Army Air Corps and then transferring to the Air Force, we did not see a lot of places. We saw. A few places, and then, then it was Mississippi in, in between. Like if he had to go off to war, like uh, Korea or Vietnam, um, we would stay at my grandparents' house in Petal, Mississippi. Uh, I was born in Hazard, Mississippi, just right across the Leaf River. Um, but, uh, we, like I said, we didn't see a whole lot, and we saw Mississippi in between just about every everything. We went to Colorado, then then to Mississippi, then to Texas, then to Mississippi, then to Starkville in Mississippi because uh, there was a, a ROTC detachment Dad worked at. Despite Dad being an... Uh, an Air Force mechanic, uh, or I say, he was taught that. He got a stripe when he joined the Army in the Army Air Corps. He got a stripe for every school that he went to, uh, like radio school, armory school, you know, gunnery school. Um, he took basic training in Florida, Miami Beach, of all things. Um, and uh, like I say, he went to to se- several different schools, and he within a year's time he had four stripes, which is unusual. Um, but uh, that's the way they they worked it in the Army Air Corps. And later he joined the Air Force uh, when the Army Air Corps was disbanded. Uh, Mom was a she was a great cook. She she could cook uh, a lot of different things and we didn't mom and I didn't have a close relationship too too much uh, later on when I came uh, from Florida when I came here uh, to Georgia I uh, moved in and took care of her I uh, took her to get uh, to buy her food or or take her different places. Um, she got into where she could not uh, drive, so I, I drove her around different times or went on errands for her. 
uh, my brother and sister-in-law who lived up the hill here um, took care of her until I came along. One thing I remember is, is uh, Dad bought a badminton set, and we played it for several years. He eventually, he was he was the other side. We uh, Terry and I played on on one side of the net, and he played on the other side of the net. And uh, he was gentle with us for a while, and then he started batting it to us real fast. And we said, no fair. And he says, no, that's how you play the game. He said, it's competition. And eventually, Dad um, said he wasn't going to play badminton with us anymore, but we, would, we could play with each other. And so uh, we got real good at it. Uh, when I was in, in high school, uh, my coach said I was the only one that was hard to beat. <laughs> And it was only by one point. Uh, but uh, we learned that we had a, uh, in, in our room in Piddle, Mississippi, we had a wall covering, uh, wallpaper that had a, a tennis racket, a badminton racket, a shuttlecock, a baseball, and a baseball bat, and, and mitt, and uh, a lot of other things, and, and we wound up growing up doing every, playing every kind of game that was symbolized by the wallpaper, you know, basketball and, and softball and all that stuff. We did it all. Uh, I learned to ski in the Army in Germany, uh, high mountains, uh, took a a week's vacation and uh, learn how to ski there and enjoyed it. Tremendous. Terry and I were, I think we were like seven and eight or eight and nine years old. We lived in Wichita Falls, Texas. Dad remembered a, uh, a crew member that was from Lawton, Oklahoma, and he got in contact with him, and uh, he invited us, his name was Boggs, he invited us to uh, come up and, and see him, and we did that about two or three times. And uh, he showed us around, he showed us an Indian village, he showed us a place, a cotton, um, not plantation, a uh, place where they grew cotton, it had so many Indian arrowheads from the past uh, that they couldn't grow cotton <laughs> for all the Indian heads. And we picked up some and, and took them home. And uh, his, he had relative, Boggs had relatives that, that had, uh, there were a lot of Indians that were, uh, lived in Oklahoma, and of course. And uh, he, he took. He showed us different places. Like uh, he took us a thousand feet down into a salt mine. Um, we saw a big tree that was um, carved out on the inside. Somebody lived in, and uh, I 
think an Indian chief lived, lived in that tree. But uh, it was really interesting uh, where he, the places that he showed us and all. And uh, <clears throat> uh, we, like I say, we lived in Texas. Uh, we remember it hailing, and uh, that's something that doesn't happen a, a lot in other places, but it, it sure did happen in Texas a lot. And uh, uh, see, I remember being in high school. Um, I loved to play football, but I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the plays. I just knew there was two goals and two sideline boundaries. And uh, uh, I was not very good at, at playing football, but I, well, I liked to play it. And uh, one day, I'm, I was always picked to be the, uh, the last person to be on a team when we made up the teams before we played. And uh, I and uh, one, one guy excoriated me up one side and down the other because I didn't know the plays or much about that. All I liked to do was get out there and uh, tackle some, whoever was running the ball. And uh, this one guy just, he got mad at me and he just, complained about all the different things that I was doing wrong. And my feelings were really hurt, and we, we quit and went home to eat supper. And I went into my house, and nobody was there. And uh, I went into my room, and I closed the door, and I got down on my knees. I didn't pray a whole lot, but when I needed something, I prayed. And uh, I got down on my knees and I told Heavenly Father, I said, Heavenly Father, I don't know how to play football. I don't know the, the uh, things, all the guys get mad at me because I, I don't play right. And uh, I'm not, uh, not very popular with them. Uh, I don't get any praise or anything. I said, I wish there was something that I could do that you could give me so that I could play good football. Two days passed and we met up for another game, <clears throat> backyard football. And uh, <clears throat> when they chose sides and, and we got to the scrimmage line and the other side, uh, the other team had the ball and they snapped it and it went flying through the air and several of us ran together and jumped up in the air to grab that, snatch that football out of the air like our team tried to get the ball to, uh, to our side. And I jumped up higher and faster than anybody else. And when I came down, I realized that I had the football in my hands. And I looked at two teammates of mine and I said, Oh my gosh, I've got the football. What will I do with it? They said, run that way. And they pointed direction just to make sure I knew which way to run. And I can't remember running it over the goal, but that happened more and more uh, than anybody else. 
I was the one that would snatch the ball out of the air. Heavenly Father gave me that gift. I didn't realize it until years later when I started thinking about it, about growing up and everything. And they started patting me on the back and, and, and telling me what a good job I did and everything like that. And it just, everything just turned around. And there was something that I had that nobody else seemed to have. I, I seemed to grab the, the ball more times than anybody else. And so it turned around. The Heavenly Father helped me the first time in my life. I was not a member of the church, but uh, there were several miracles that happened. Um, one time we had tried to move up to Montana where my wife was from. And uh, after about a month, we, could, we couldn't make, uh, I couldn't find a job or anything. And so we hitched our stuff on the back of our, our Toyota Corolla. And uh, we were about one o'clock uh, in the morning. Um, we were in Cody, Montana. No, Cody, Wyoming. And um, <clears throat> there was a... Uh, we moved, we drove into Ramada Inn. It was the only one in town in uh, Cody, Wyoming at that time. And uh, I was too tired for us to get out and go get a room. And we started falling asleep in our car. And all of a sudden, and, and I was still not a member of the church, and all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, get up right now and go get a room. And so we did. The next day, as we drove away from Cody, Wyoming, um, the local news said that somebody had been, a couple had been killed sitting in their car thinking that they wouldn't get a room, that they'd just go fall asleep in their car. And they were killed. So Heavenly Father saved my life again. And, uh, and he would do this many different times. Uh, one time after I joined the church, I had a miracle happen in a shipyard where I worked. Um, me and my boss had to put this thing in place, this heavy piece in place in the engine room of a ship that we were building. Um, ship was about as long as half a foot football field or something like that. It, it wasn't a big ocean-going ship, but uh, of course it could go out on the ocean. But um, my boss and I tried for an hour and a half to try to get this heavy object in place, and he finally said, Marlo, I got something else to do. He said, when I get back, this thing ought to... Be in, I expect this thing to be in place. And I saw him leave the engine room and walk up the, the stairs, and he was gone. And I'm thinking, boy, I, I could just get so mad. And I want to throw my hat down because neither we both couldn't do it. So how could he expect me to j just do it? 
and I realized that I would need have, I would have to have a Heavenly Father's help. So um, I got down on my knees. There was nobody else in the engine room. Uh, it was a Saturday. Some Saturdays it was full of everybody, and sometimes uh, there was nobody there. But um, I got down on my knees, and I talked to Heavenly Father, and I pleaded my case with him. Now, this is after I joined the church. And uh, I said, Heavenly Father, I've, my boss expects me to get this in place. Neither one of us could do it I mean, with each other's help. Um, I said, I need thy help in moving this object into place. I said, if thou wouldst, at the count of three, wouldst thou move this into place with thy power? And I said, one, two, three. All of a sudden, I heard a clunk. I opened up my eyes. I got up. I looked to see that the object was in place where I needed to be on the wall. And I wanted to jump up and down and shout hallelujah and everything like that. And the Spirit said, don't you dare. It's kind of like uh, President Nelson telling us, don't shout for joy when you hear a temple being built in a certain place. He said, the Spirit told me you expected the miracle. You asked for the miracle. You got the miracle. Don't shout up, shout and jump up and down and be excited and everything. Just be calm. And so I finished my prayer and the thing was in place. And when my boss came back, he just, he looked at it and he says, oh, good, you got it in place. And he didn't even ask me. He was he was an atheist. He didn't he wouldn't have believed me if he if uh, if I told him the truth. So I just didn't say anything. He was just glad it was there. So that's what happened with that incident. Dad was good about helping us, except for fishing. He would go fishing alone, or with one of his buddies at uh, at work, but. Um, when it came to vacation, he would make sure that we had, um, we would go and see places or, you know, like go to lakes or things like that. And that we, we had a good time as a family. We had a lot of pictures taken uh, of the different places we went to. One time, Terry got uh, in a fight with this other guy and I was smaller than Terry was. I, I wasn't. I didn't expect myself to go out and help him in a in a fight. And and when uh, when Dad got home and and he heard about the the fight between Terry and, and that other guy, uh, he he asked me where was I, and I I said, well, Terry's bigger than me. I didn't expect anybody but him to fight his own fight. And Dad just got all over me. He just, uh, you know, excoriated me about not helping my brother. Uh, so that was something that happened a long way, I can remember. Uh, one time, 
we were asked to help our grandpa because he was getting he was getting old and he was retired and everything and um one morning we were sitting i guess probably eating cereal and grandpa was eating he had cooked himself some eggs and uh he started to use a salt shaker and realized there wasn't a whole lot in it so he thought he would go fill it up he he unloosened uh, the top and set it back down and went to to get the bigger salt, salt shaker to put more salt in the in the shaker itself and uh while he was gone terry leaned over at me and he said grandpa's getting old we need to help him so terry reached over and he unscrewed the top even more than it already was and he set it back down while Grandpa was looking for the for the salt container. Um, he couldn't find it, so he came and sat back down. He says, well, I guess I'll just have to use what's in here. And he turned it over, and it everything spilled out, a lot of salt on, all over the eggs and everything. And Terry and I, Terry winked at me and thought, yep, we helped Grandpa again. And then another time, uh, we were up early and we were standing by the uh, by Grandpa's car, and he seemed to have left his keys in the car. I guess he was getting older, and he he didn't realize that the car doors back then were would pivot down uh, instead of pulling on them to open them they would pivot down. And uh, Grandpa said, well, I guess I'll have to go get my tools. I hate to bust into the car, but I guess I'll have to get my tools and, and bust in and try to, you know, and retrieve the, the keys. So while he was gone, Terry said, Grandpa's getting old. He needs help. So Terry reaches up and he pulls on the door handle and it swings down like they did back in that time and he opened it and then he pushed it back to where it was just one click it'd take two clicks for it to, to completely shut and so grandpa came back with his tool uh, toolbox and he thought well I'll, i think i'll give it one more try uh before i have to try to bust into the car so he reaches and he pulls on it with all his might and it slams him back against the side of the house and he just goes he just falls down and uh, Terry looked over at me and gave me a wink and did the thumbs up like yep we helped grandpa <laughs> and despite us helping Grandpa, he lived to be another, uh, um, to live in his, to be about 80 years old. So that's how we helped Grandpa. <laughs> well, when it comes to dating, I was so shy in high school, I never dated. I didn't date until years later. Uh, when I got out of the Army, I, I came back from Germany, and I uh, dated some, and... Uh, 
but uh, it, it was kind of hard. Uh, I didn't know how to dance. Um, when, I, when I came here to Georgia, after I got divorced in, in Florida, um, I was told in a, in a blessing, in a, what I call the second part of the blessing, uh, I, asked for, I asked for something in the blessing. That was the first part. The second part, Heavenly Father told me to start going to my singles activities. And then a year later, he confirmed it. He said, make sure you go to your singles activities. And so I started doing that because uh, I didn't know where the activities were held or anything. I had to learn all that and, you know, ask around and everything. So I started learning how to dance. Uh, I was shy at, uh, at first. It took me a while to, to overcome my shyness and learn to ask girls to dance and everything. One time... Uh, I would go over, there was a bunch of uh, Latino women uh, sitting at this table. They would do that every, every month that we had a, a dance. And uh, I would go around asking each one of them in Spanish. I said, would you dance with me? And they would refuse me. And finally, I told a, a Mexican friend of mine, uh, Francisco Cruz, I said, uh, Francisco, I said, these Latina women will not dance with me when I ask them. He says, i tell you what to do. He said, next time you go and ask them and they refuse, you say, cree que es la última Coca-Cola en el desierto, which means, so you think you're the last Coca-Cola in the desert? <laughs> and so, but then they quit coming, so I didn't have to ask them. Uh, that was one of the funnier things that happened. Uh, I went to two different high schools. Uh, I went to Biloxi High, at, uh, right near Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi on the Gulf Coast. And uh, then I went to Petal High while Dad was overseas in Vietnam. He, he wasn't fighting. He was... a uh, he was a pencil pusher by then. He went overseas. Terry went to, uh, started college uh, in Naval ROTC at Ole Miss in Mississippi. And, um, and I stayed home and, and lived with mom and uh, my grandparents. We sent my sister to Jackson, Mississippi to a special school there for that year that dad was overseas. And uh, so then we, um, I joined Civil Air Patrol, had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, wore, you know, uniform and everything. Uh, I had a, what I thought was a pretty good voice that projected and so my uh, leader, I asked him if I could count cadence and everything. I practiced at home, my dad being in the Air Force, there were some manuals on how to march and how to do different things like that. 
And so um, I was the one that would shout the commands uh, when we were practicing marching in our group, our squadron. Uh, that was at uh, Hattiesburg uh, Squadron. But um, that was one of the things I did. Uh, I did not have, I had, a, I made A's and B's up until I was about the sixth or seventh grade. And, uh, and I, my grades just dropped and I just, uh, I didn't know what to do. I just barely passed, uh, you know, made it to the next grade. Um, but despite that, when um, I was in junior college and uh, I wasn't doing too good, I knew the Army was uh, breathing down my neck that they were going to draft me if I didn't sign up voluntarily. If you sign up voluntarily and you um, can do what you want to do, uh, then they let you take, uh, have that opportunity to, to do that thing. Well, I thought that I was going to go to Vietnam. The Vietnam War was in a big swing, uh, and uh, I thought for sure I would go there. And the career sergeant asked me, uh, what would I like to do? And I said, well, I guess if I have to go to Vietnam, I might as well drive tanks. And he said, we don't have tanks in Vietnam. Well, uh, they did have tanks in Vietnam. There, there was pictures, videos of, uh, of tanks in Vietnam, but they, were not, they would not go into the, to the jungles or, or uh, rice paddies or anything like that. But um, the sergeant asked me, he said, how would you like to go to Germany for three years? Well, that had been on dad's list of places to go, but, but because of different circumstances, he couldn't, uh, couldn't volunteer to go to Germany after all. But so that was exciting for me. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And he said, you will never see Vietnam. He said, you'll go to, to Germany for three years and you will do top secret uh, work. I said, what kind of work? He says, I can't tell you that right now. He said, but you'll learn uh, along the way what you, what you do and you'll go to a special school. Uh, <clears throat> so I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for basic training and then uh, went home for about a week or two break and then flew up to Massachusetts and uh, started going to a army school there at Fort Devens, Massachusetts. And um, I, did, I wasn't very good at, at some things, but I was taught to run radio, large radio receivers and teletype machines and things like that. Uh, and I also took, having taken a typing in high school, uh, our dad had said that sometime along the way, if you can grab a typing course, take it. And so I did, I took his advice and I took it. And later I would need that. And I would do 70 groups per minute. It's, 
it's um, code. It's um, it's not just it's not regular typing, like making sentences. It's um, letters and numbers jumbled together, in in groups of five, and so I would have to make a lead tape from one machine and make it go to the other's machine. So after I type the title of it out and everything, the nomenclature and all that, um, I got to where I was typing as fast as the next machine that where the tape was being fed into would go. And so uh, that came in handy for me. Well, there was a lot of different jobs I did. Uh, I learned, did everything from cashiering and stock clerk uh, in, in the grocery business to, uh, uh, I took a machinist, production machine school where you learned power hacksaws, power drills, um, lathes, um, I worked with a, after I got finished with that school, with that course, uh, I worked with a company for about two and a half years uh, as a machinist. So that, that's basically what I, I did for a while. Then I, then I went to a shipyard because uh, they, that company had closed down. Um, so I went to a machinist. I went to a uh, shipyard. That's where that miracle happened. I never retired from any. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I wasn't that wasn't that smart. Uh, I didn't retire from any one company. Um, I just worked at different odd jobs. Uh, you know, here and there. Uh, I gained a lot of different experiences. Uh, I learned to weld and use an acetylene torch because my buddies had taught me in the shipyard how to work those items. Um, I wound up, my boss asking me to um, weld up uh, leaks in the piping system where they would blow air through and see, see if there was any holes. And uh, the pipe fitters that had put these things together, there was holes in them. They x-rayed, they used an x-ray machine of some kind, and uh, it told them where leaks were. And I fixed every one of those leaks myself, and I was not even a welder, a certified welder. Um, so I was, I was proud of that. You know, my boss had asked me to do that for him. And, I was able to do it. <clears throat> I enjoyed the fact that my grandpa, my dad's dad, was, um, he had been a farmer in the summer times, and he had a, a diploma from Mississippi Normal College, which later became uh, Southern Mississippi University. Um, but my grandpa taught me things. I was having problems when I, when I was learning to read in the first grade and things like that. And grandpa came and stayed with us for about two weeks, grandpa and grandma. And uh, 
Grandpa taught me a lot of things that would come in handy later on in life. I was able to learn to read faster. He would help me break down words into syllables and teach me grammar and English and things like that. And I went from being a poor in that to being uh, great at it. So I was probably usually the best uh, reader in, in each class. Uh, once I got to the second and third grades and all, uh, all because my grandpa's help, because he was a he was a teacher in, in the winter time. Uh, I even met one of his students one time. <laughs> of course, he was an older man, but uh, I met him one time. And he remember remember grandpa. I'd have to say my my brother Terry. Uh, he did a lot to show me how to live a, a good life and everything. So, proud to say he was my brother. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm an artist. I learned, uh, I started drawing stick figures when I was in grade school and, and looking out the window, <laughs> I was not, I was bored with, uh, you know, learning things. Uh, but I, I did enjoy some things. I enjoyed uh, geography. Uh, I could point to anything on the map, e even some of the most remote places like Rangoon, and uh, show you, you know, where those places were exactly. I, it's just something I did. I just learned to, to study maps and and know where different places were located. Oh, uh, I picked up a college degree in political science along the way. I had a friend, I was living in Florida, and uh, I had a friend that was a member of the church. He was a doctor, he made 600,000 a year. And he went to a lawyer one time and said, I'm tired of giving all my taxes uh, to the government, back to the government. So he, so he talked with him a while, and he learned about different things. The lawyer learned about different things, and he says, okay, here's, here's my suggestion. Send two or three people on a mission for your church and send two or three people to college. Well, I had not finished college and gotten a degree, so I decided to make a mind to uh, learn political science. Um, I, my idea was that I wanted to be a, uh, to interview people, and if I talked to somebody about the government, uh, like a, a congressman or something, I would have to know how the government works. So I picked political science, which unfortunately, along with political science, which I could have done straight A's if it was just political science, but they threw in statistics, and other high maths that I was not good at. I flunked each one of them one time at least and had to go back and repeat it. And then when I repeated it, I only made a C in it. But um, that's, that's one of the things I was, I was proud of. I'm the, 
uh, third generation college graduate. <laughs> when I took my battery of tests to join the Army, they said that my, high, my scores were high and I had been a, a not very good student. And I was wondering, how did that work out? I think it was the English that I learned, the being able to read uh, real well and, and all that that made my score so high. Uh, and so I didn't go to Vietnam where my dad expected I was going to go because most people were going there. But uh, he was really relieved when I told him that I was going to join the Army Security Agency, which is a part of military intelligence. And so um, I had a top secret clearance from that. I was going to move to Atlanta, where my brother was living at the time with his first wife. He eventually got a divorce. But um, I found out that I had some ran up some heavy um, bills, just, you know, like power bills and things like that. And uh, so instead of moving to Atlanta to live with Terry for a while and be a starving artist, um, I, had to, I had to stay behind. I thought I had to stay behind and take care of those bills. So I got a job at uh, a dime store and that's where I met my future wife uh, she and I worked together at different times and uh, so I got I got interested in her and I started dating her and she was already a member of the church but she was not active and uh, she noticed that I liked to read books that were either true or based on truth and while we were at a, at a library looking for s some books for her to read to her children, uh, her two girls, which I eventually adopt those two, because um, <clears throat> she got divorced from her first husband. Um, but anyway, we were in a library, and she saw this Book of Mormon, and she said, hey, Tom, why don't you read this book? And so I checked it out. Uh, a Book of Mormon, and read it, and I got interested. She said, uh, how did you like it? And I said, I really like that. Um, I believe it's a true story. And uh, she told me about Joseph Smith and Golden Plates. I was ready to accept that. Most people would gawk at it and say, I, have you, you know, are you out of, out of your mind? Are you crazy? And I thought... It was a neat story. Uh, she told me about no paid ministry. I thought that was neat. Uh, so I eventually asked for the missionaries to come over. So she called them, and, and they came over. They called, called me a golden contact because I was ready for the, uh, for the whole kit and caboodle of, of the Mormon church. And when, my, when I joined... My parents thought I was crazy, but they knew I was crazy anyway. Well, eventually, three years later, my own brother, on his own, joined the church. I didn't have any, I, I did pray for him, 
but I, I joined first, and then later he joined. Uh, and he was dating his future wife, who would also join the church. So that worked out really well. Uh, I got married in 1975, joined the church in 76, got the priesthood in 77. Uh, eventually, after those two uh, girls that I adopted from her first marriage, after they moved out of the house, we adopted a baby girl that was only two days old. So, uh, and uh, up until I, I was divorced when she was 16. But uh, she is she's the great, she's the best of the three kids. I mean, she, she would listen to uh, Book of Mormon tapes um, when, she, when she was just a little child going to bed, going to sleep, she would listen to those stories and everything. And she's the strongest in the church. My oldest is not a member of the church um, anymore. My second oldest, if I were to go and visit her, she lives in Mississippi on the coast, um, she would go with me, or at least she would have, but now she's, she's, she was born with a, with a physical handicap. Uh, she has no feelings below her, her waist. She, she, uh, if you were to prick her skin with a needle, she couldn't tell. Um, so she wouldn't, you know, that's, that's kind of thing she had to put up with growing up. Uh, she, she wore crutches and braces. Well, Brenda, uh, I mean, Brianna, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's Kim is the oldest. Brenda is the next oldest. And those two are sisters. And then, well, now, now we call them all sisters. Uh, Brianna, um, she lives, well, I can't say where she lives. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a family problem with her mother. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, so that's that's the three. But like I say, the youngest is is the strongest in the church. It, well, it didn't happen overnight for me. Um, but I accepted the idea that Joseph Smith had found golden plates. Uh, I later found out from a, from a church archaeologist that was giving a. a a lecture to a, a bunch of uh, LDS members um, that gold plates, tin plates, tablets, clay tablets, uh, all kinds of different things have been found from England down through a crescent into the Middle East and as far away as, as Java. And so um, having learned that, Golden plates is nothing, <laughs> you know. It's not a big eye-opener. It's just one of those things. When I got out of the Army, a few months out of the Army, the Spirit came to me. I was not a member of the church yet. I didn't even know what the church was, This the LDS church was. Um, but the Spirit assured me many times over, 
that I would see the millennium in my lifetime. I would live to see the millennium. That's the strongest thing that keeps me active. Um, I happen to be, as a, in a state executive secretary, I happen to be in on some stake uh, trials for, for members of the church. Uh, I had to be, be there when they were, they were having a stake trial. And because of the things that happened, it reminded me not to do anything wrong. So that was a that's a big part of my testimony too. A lot of different ones. Some before I was even a member of the church, I knew were miracles. Um, like that time being saved from being killed, uh, sitting in our car and falling asleep, and then finding out that two other people had been in that very same parking lot and had been killed. And uh, so I knew Heavenly Father had saved my life, that I heard this, the Spirit at that time. Didn't know it was the Spirit, but, it, but that's what it was. And it, it said for me to get a room. Um, but uh, sometimes, like two different times, when I was driving on two different highways in two different states, trucks or, or vehicles would come up past me on both sides, on the left and right side, and then they would try to go into the middle lane in front of me, and they would hit each other, and not a single thing happened to my car. One time, the Spirit took my hands and made, made me uh, drive my car in between the two cars that had just hit each other and then separated, and I went like that. And it, I didn't have to stop because I was not part of the accident. That's twice that happened to me. One, once going to, to Chattanooga here in Georgia, once in Florida. But uh, just, just a lot of different things uh, that are miracles. Uh, one time in Mississippi, uh, my family and I were going, were driving on a Saturday to spend a day at a uh, lake, you know, just having some fun and everything. And uh, my wife was driving and we went to this light in North Gulfport. It was a long light. Um, and we thought, first we saw what we thought was two men in choir clothes and then I come to realize that they were part of the clan, the Kluf Klux clan. And they were trying to sell the, their uh, newspaper. And we weren't interested, of course. I didn't hate them, but I started thinking about how they were not doing the right thing. And then I turned my eyes back I was inside my car. I turned my eyes back to the, one of the guys as he turned and looked at me through the glass. And when he did, he started yelling 
he put up his hands like something was was trying to show him to stop what he was doing. And and my wife turned and looked at me and she said, did you make a face at him? Did you say anything to him? I said, I didn't do a thing. The Holy Ghost filled my, my, my body. It told him through my eyes that he was doing wrong. I have never forgotten that. That was a miracle in itself. The Holy Spirit used me to tell another man that he was doing wrong and that he better quit. I love the friendliness. Now, I'm a shy person, and sometimes I haven't gone up and introduced myself to some people. I'm just, sometimes I get shy, and other times I'm, I'm fine. But, but uh, I like the friendliness of the ward. I, you can feel it all the time, you know. I never walk in here one Sunday and, and say, this is bland, and I'll start coming once in a while. I can't see that. You know, when you're committed to God and you're committed to the church, then you should be there as much as, you know, unless you're sick or something. To know that Christ came and showed himself to the world and that the millennium started. You know, uh, because it took political science, I feel a certain sort of, I don't know what you call it, it just, uh, I feel like, you know, it's gonna happen. Uh, so I, I believe that all people, all members of the church should stay active and not think of any excuse to go inactive. Stay active, stay strong. And, you know, the Savior will come. I have a testimony that the Spirit told me many times. Not just once. It reminded me again and again, over and over. The Savior is going to come in your lifetime. And so there's a lot of other people that are going to be here, not just me. So, Well, that brings us to a close for this week's podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the personal history and stories presented today. And most of all, I hope it has brought you closer to another member of our ward.